I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Infrastructure continues to be a hot topic in our nation's capital. For the people of Utah, it's not just infrastructure. It's national monuments, uh, trails, and a host of other things uh, that's much more than just what we see in the headlines. So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, this is the portion of the program where we think again. And uh, obviously, we've heard a lot uh, about infrastructure bills and different groups that we're trying to cobble together uh, some compromise, and uh, we're very pleased to be joined now by Utah Senator Mitt Romney, who's been in the middle of a lot of those discussions, just to get an update uh, in terms of where uh, that discussion is. We know that uh, uh, in the Senate today that Chuck Schumer did kind of get the trains out of the station on another path, uh, creating some additional options and obstacles uh, in terms of getting that done. Uh, Senator, thanks for joining us. And uh, what can you tell us in terms of where we are? What's the present reality with infrastructure? Well, thanks, Boyd. Good to be with you. Um, uh, The rules of the Senate allow the Democrats by themselves, without any Republican votes at all, to pass any spending measure that they would like, and also to change taxes as they would like. Uh, so the White House and uh, and Chuck Schumer, who's the Democrat leader, are eyeing uh, spending several trillion dollars over the coming several years uh, by um, by doing that without any Republican votes. At the same time, a group of ten of us, five Republicans and five Democrats, has said, "Hey, we've got a better way. Let's come up with a much smaller spending package for infrastructure, have it entirely paid for with no new taxes at all." And that's what we've come up with. Uh, it's, uh, it's something which we're uh, getting Republicans and Democrats to sign up for here in the Senate. And I think you'll find today we'll end up with 10 more who've agreed to join us. And, uh, and so the White House and, and Senator Schumer are going to have to decide. Are they going to go it alone on a multi-trillion dollar huge tax hike? Uh, or are they going to work with a bipartisan proposal, which is far more economic and paid for without raising taxes? Yeah, and I know uh, all eyes have been uh, on uh, your colleague and friend, uh, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. He has not indicated whether he would be willing to uh, to go with the, the Democratic proposal that would have just Democratic votes. And so that will be interesting uh, to look at. And, and I do think one of the important things for our listeners 
uh, to note is that part of what you've done with this group of 10, and it sounds like you're going to be adding another 10, uh, is is really do what should be done on a lot of these bills, and that is narrow the focus, break them into two bills or three bills or, or appropriate bills. Uh, is, there a, is there a path to get that done, and could this become a model uh, for future legislation? You know, I, I certainly hope it becomes a model. We, we did come together. This same group of 10 uh, came together uh, at the end of last year and proposed a COVID relief bill of roughly $900 billion, uh, and that formed the basis of, uh, well, breaking apart the, the stalemate that existed between the, the White House and, uh, and, and Congress and, and was actually passed into law, or a measure very similar to it was passed into law. So we've, we've worked before. We're working again, this time on infrastructure. This is a tough one. Uh, but I think I think there's some merit to saying, hey, let's not make these these huge bills massive in scale with huge tax increases. Let's let's instead narrow things down to what we really need. Uh, work on a bipartisan basis, so it's a win both for Republicans and for Democrats, and then pass things on a bipartisan basis. It would it would be nice. I, that's not the way Washington has worked lately, but it's the way Washington used to work. Yeah, it it it, it did used to work that way. And, uh, you know, I've never been a big fan of lobbyists and things getting put into bills. But I, I know in the infrastructure bill, there's been a lot of debate on what is or isn't infrastructure. So this will be my first and only effort ever, Senator, to lobby. And that is, could you just include Mike Conley's hamstring and Donovan Mitchell's ankle as part of critical infrastructure uh, for all of us here in Utah tonight. <laughs> no question. No question. That it's critical infrastructure, but unfortunately, it's not in our legislation. <laughs> okay. let's, let's shift gears now. I know there are a couple of more really important things going on that do impact uh, many of us here in the state of Utah. Uh, first, of course, is dealing with these national monuments that have uh, been done by executive order as opposed to by uh the proper channels in terms of Congress, they've been expanded and shrunk and looks like they're going to be expanded again. Can you give us a, an update on where we stand? Well, I think you're right in your assessment, which is uh, the Secretary of the Interior, uh, Secretary Holland, has said to the president, uh, you should go back to the uh, former boundaries of the wilderness area. So that would reverse President Trump's shrinking the boundaries. Uh, she says, look, you should go back to the full scale. We're, we're trying to meet with the president. The entire delegation is uh, to tell him, don't, don't do that. Sit down and let's talk about what needs to be protected. And, you know, we're drawing on a, a decision written by the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, it related to a, another area in the country. But he said, you know, the use of this Antiquities Act, which allows the president to protect wilderness areas, um, uh, he said the, the, the use of this Antiquities Act should really be limited to actually protecting the antiquities themselves that need protection and should not be used to take great swaths of land that are actually not really necessary to protect the antiquities. And and that logic really applies here. Uh, you don't really need to take millions and millions of acres and say, hey, this is going to become a wilderness area. And, and let me note for my, my friends that are really concerned about you know, the, 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 uh, the designation of a monument and, and keeping uh, natural land uh, natural, uh, and that is when this was designated as a national monument, it brought all sorts of new people to the state that hadn't been there before. And the degradation of the antiquities really took off, became terrible. Because just designating something as a as a national monument, it, it brings a lot of tourists, 
but there's no money that comes to patrol it. I understand there are no more than two or three patrol people for millions of acres. So, so designating something as a as a as a monument like this, as a national monument, uh, really is a double-edged sword that people need to think about. Yeah, and I and I think the other component to that too. Uh, Doing it absent congressional action uh, creates so much uncertainty for our rural communities, for the tribal members uh, who don't know, you know, is it this much? Is it that much? Can we do this? Can we develop this area or not? Uh, it seems uh, that the uncertainty uh, is kind of a, a double whammy uh, for a lot of those uh, rural communities as well. Well, there's no question about that, which is it's going to be a little strange, don't you think, when you have a Republican president who shrinks the size of the boundary, then a Democrat president goes back to the larger boundary. We're going to go back and forth, ping-ponging back and forth, and that makes it difficult for ranchers that want to graze cattle on on land or uh, Native Americans who are collecting uh, firewood uh, for their homes from that land. It's uh, This ping-ponging does not make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to one last thing before we let you go, Senator uh, and if you're just joining us, we've got Senator Mitt Romney on the line with us uh, talking about everything from infrastructure and national monuments. And, and now I want to go to something that's a, a real positive, uh, something I know you're passionate about. Uh, it's the reintroduction of the uh, Bonneville Shoreline Trail. Uh, tell us just a little bit about where we are there and, and what kind of uh, uh, progress we're making and what we can expect moving forward. Well, I just testified before the uh, committee that oversees that legislation. I proposed legislation along with Senator Lee uh, that says, look, let, let's take the 326 acres of wilderness land that the Bonneville Trail goes through, uh, allow the trail to actually go through that land, uh, and swap that land for another 326 acres that used to be a Boy Scout camp is now part of the National Forest, so so we can actually complete the Bonneville uh, Trail. It would be 280 miles long, this Bonneville Shoreline Trail. It would uh, trace the outline of the original Lake Bonneville, which, by the way, was 20,000 square miles, about wow. the size of Lake Michigan. And it would stretch all the way from southern Utah into Idaho. It would be a fantastic uh, legacy item for our future generations, as well as something that we could enjoy during our lifetimes. Uh, and so important. I think this is one of those that is a, a great model in terms of how you can have good use and good stewardship of the land and do things that uh, promote and bring people to the state of Utah, as well as protecting those things that, uh, that really matter for the long haul. We're on the same page on that, Boyd. I, I, I think there's a, there's a great deal of support for saying, yep, you're right, let's complete this Bonneville Shoreline Trail, uh, and, which would allow people to actually walk a, along that shelf. And you've, you've seen it. If you drive yeah. around you know, Provo or Orem or Salt Lake, you've, you've seen that bench against the mountain. Uh, that would be the trail that, uh, that connects us um, one part of the state to the other and all the way to Idaho. Fantastic. Utah Senator Mitt Romney, really appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for us on Inside Sources today. Great uh, things happening. We'll continue to stay tuned uh, in terms of infrastructure, uh, the National Monuments, and the Bonneville Shoreline Trail. Really appreciate your insight today. Thanks, Boyd. Good to be with you. All right. Again, uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney, there's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. this week. And uh, this infrastructure conversation is going to get really interesting now that Chuck Schumer has kind of unleashed the from the train station this path where Democrats can pass infrastructure without a single Republican vote. Uh, Mitt Romney just said that they have 10, of course, in that initial group. He's saying there could be as many as 10 more uh, signing on to that infrastructure path that uh, he and his colleagues are working on. So we'll continue to watch that here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Lots to think about on a Tuesday. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.